Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon... Do it! We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we've been doing for over a year. There's something like 40 episodes waiting for you. If you haven't made the jump yet, I'd consider doing that. Uh, And speaking of which, since this is the first episode we've done, uh, since I got back from the Toronto Film Fest, uh, (laughs) we got... A list here, so sorry that normally I don't have to read out this many names, but I got to go a little bit fast this week. (laughs) So we got David, just David, welcome. Joseph Gluck, Gregory, Patrick Nolan, Joseph Torchinsky, Simia Canis, Reno D, Leslie Flores, Kurt Schiller, Robert Satan Harris, Philip Campbell, and Mike Wisen. Thank you, guys. So thanks so that much for uh, being with us, guys, yeah, and, for real. and getting all those bonus episodes. I hope you guys are enjoying. I saw a couple of them have entered the Discord and have been talking cool. in the Discord as well. So if you guys do become patrons, you get access to that. So that's the one plug for the week. The other plug of the week, iTunes. If you guys are listening on iTunes, make sure to give us a good old rating and review over there. If you've been digging the show, it helps us find new listeners, and we appreciate that oh, yeah. as well. But those are your plugs for the week. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me, as always, my co-host... Jamie Miller. Welcome back. We are back for another episode here. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us, and that would have been uh, Will Meneker of the Chapo Trap House podcast came on our show, and he brought with him a John Frankenheimer muscular car ownage (laughs) double feature of Ronin 1998. Love it. With uh, Robert De Niro and John Reno. Uh, as well as uh, his 1966 Formula One sports drama epic Mm. Grand Prix, which had uh, some absolutely amazing uh, car sequences. Insane. And uh, and an opening credits by, uh, once again, Saul Bass. That kind of blew my mind. Yeah, all those, like, close-ups of just the nuts and bolts. Inside the engines and, and, like, uh, unreal. Uh, So if you haven't heard that episode, that was just two weeks ago. That's for on any podcast listener of choice. But one week ago, I think, would have been the last time uh, our bonus listeners over on Patreon would have heard from us. And with the release of Rambo, Last Blood, which Jamie and I haven't (laughs) had a chance to see yet as of recording, but maybe have by by the time you guys are listening to this episode. But... We did Open for good things. We did a big episode, one of our three movie episodes, and we did Rambo: First Blood Part Two, 1985. We did Rambo Three, which I think was 87, and then we did all the way up to Rambo, or John Rambo, 2008. Yeah. So we did a full deep dive into everything Rambo, getting ready for Rambo: Last Blood, and uh, yeah. So <laughs> if you want that episode. 
that was again patreon.com slash thesoids podcast that was last week's bonus episode and actually that episode set us up perfectly yeah for what we are about to dive into this week joining us is a freelance uh writer i think he writes about film and i think you he writes over at uh pitchfork about music and also Very he is cool. the uh host of the uh cinematary podcast that is nathan smith nathan how are you doing I'm doing well. Uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm a fan of the podcast and very happy to be on. Thanks for, Thanks for joining coming. us. Now, the way that it works, Nathan, as you probably know, is we get the guests to bring on the double feature with them. So what two films have you brought with you this week and why did they pair together? So as you mentioned, there's a little bit of a connection between the Rambo franchise and um, the two movies that I picked today. Uh, and those movies are Missing in Action from 1984, directed by Joseph Zito and, of course, starring the one, the only um, Chuck Norris. Uh, the other movie is not quite so well known, um, but it's about a similar topic. Uh, and also produced by Canon Films. Um, and this movie is uh, has a number of titles. Um, <laughs> I believe that the uh, like original title is Behind Enemy Lines. Um, but of course, that is also the title of a movie from that strange period in time when they were trying to make Owen Wilson an action star. Uh, <laughs> so it... Uh, also is uh, known under the title POW The Escape and Attack Force NAM, which <laughs> that's the title that uh, I was actually able to find it online under. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't really available as either Behind Enemy Lines or POW The Escape. Um, and this movie is directed by the relatively unknown Gideon Amir and stars David Carradine. Um and the reason why I picked both of these movies is because, of course, as you guys mentioned, um, Rambo Last Blood is coming out this week. I actually had a ch the chance to see it yesterday. Oh, um, shit. Oh, and? No spoilers, but what's a no general consensus? <laughs> it's um, basically it's a taken movie uh, in Rambo's clothing. Like... It has really little connection to like the other Rambo movies. It's oh, just like that actually sounds kind of disappointing. I mean, it's 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 well, it's interesting because it's like largely kind of like a generic millennium entertainment sort of barely above DTV kind of mediocre thriller. Um, but the violence is pretty horrifying uh, and is like verging on Rambo as slasher. Uh, okay. Okay. Like, well, that sounds be better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like it, it has no reason to get as bonkers as it does. Um, <laughs> and yeah. the last 10 minutes is like a really insane kind of uh, set piece. Uh, and so I think it's like I think it's worth seeing. I don't think it's particularly good. And it's just kind of a weird entry. I don't know, it, because it just doesn't it just feels like some other sort of Stallone vehicle that was just shoehorned into being a Rambo movie. Interesting. Honestly. Damn. Um, well, as, as people who just dove into the Rambos, we were, <laughs> we were hoping for something a little bit more personalized than that. But I was scared when I saw that the filmmaker he attached to this one did look like they were kind of a little bit more sort of uh, generic yeah. low budget action. Yeah. Especially, and especially with the way that they end Rambo 2008 with him, like, you know, walking onto the farm. I just, 
after the final, set piece that they right, finished exactly. that movie on. Like, seemed pretty finalized. The contradiction, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, I'm still hoping yeah. for the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to check it out regardless. But this is going to be a fun double feature and especially works because we specifically address it in our Rambo episode. But when we were doing Rambo 2 specifically, um, that has to do um, very much is based on right. the sort of like Vietnam conspiracy. Right, of, the, what you uh, call, it was both. It, it was called the POW MIA issue, the prisoner of war missing in action. Um, and largely it was just a conspiracy that after the peace accords had been signed and the war was officially over that Vietnam was still holding American troops as prisoners of war and torturing them. And in, we like, got to get our boys back and, home. Right. Right. <laughs> right and, and, uh, from what I understand, both of these films are, and especially Missing in Action, even though these weren't the first films to ever tackle this subject, but the James Cameron treatment for mm-hmm. Rambo 2, everyone kind of got a chance to read it. <laughs> and that was what Missing in Action came out, was it was produced basically based on his treatment for Rambo 2. Oh, so they wow. were basically just like, well, shit, we just take the idea we'll just write our own screenplay and make it faster. And they got the movie out before Rambo 2. Oh, yeah, I was <laughs> Which wondering is just that because they came out the same year, right? Uh, yeah. It came out one year earlier, actually, oh, than Rambo. Oh, okay, okay. But but yeah, James it, James Cameron's treatment for a Rambo sequel had been going around for years, though, at the time. Like, oh, he, wow. had, he had written it long before they actually decided to go ahead and make it. And James Cameron uh, famously has disavowed the movie, saying that uh, Stallone's rewrites on it basically make it not the movie he wrote. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, before we get too deep into that, that's going to yeah. bring us to Missing in Action. So I think we're going to jump right into it. We are going to jump mm-hmm. into Missing in Action. Chuck Norris. James Brett ah! declares war. The war isn't over until the last man comes home. America had no more heroes until now Chuck Norris missing in action all right we are talking missing in action the 1984 American action film directed by Joseph Zito as Nathan mentioned and starring the legendary American screen presence Chuck Norris (laughs) yes um this personally, by the way, this is my first Chuck Norris film. I don't know about oh, you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So this, yeah, this, this was uh, something. I, I, what about you, Josh? Was no, this... I've I've seen a couple of his okay. appearances in Bruce Lee films. Ah, uh, so, um, yeah. I, I have a big blind spot with So Bruce I've Lee. seen some of his martial arts work already, so I'm a little lucky on that front. I, I think it's really unfortunate for anyone that, that for this to be your first I Chuck see, Norris experience. That's kind of the feeling I got, because <laughs> I was like, just, personally, I found that he lacked like any type of charisma when it came to the de- like the delivery of lines like a lot of it is just yeah. him very stoic and i think what he's trying to do is just be like you know i'm super focused i know what i'm doing and i'm gonna get the job done but instead it just comes across as extremely dull for me so mm-hmm. and dispassionate oh yeah you're, 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 you're supposed to believe he's <laughs> Not like an ounce some of humanity in this guy some uh like rolling thunder-esque like ptsd and like patriotism yeah. has like kind of like brought him into this uh you know he needs to go and free all these prisoners who are right because we up. even like we we open with that uh that that dream sequence which is has a very funny ending when when he <laughs> when he grabs two grenades and then body slams and just the guy 
seat, like this cartoonish like, Vietnamese soldier who is like stabbing his friend over like 30 and thirty times. Again. Like I felt like I was watching Tropic Thunder for a second, where it's just yeah. like you know that bit where he's like holding his guts. Yeah, like it's just like how many stabs could that guy take before he stopped <laughs> screaming? Yeah, <laughs> and then also it's like, dude, why are you? Why are you body slamming him? You could just drop those nades right on him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, no, because he's so passionate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was, the passion. Oh, man. I, think, uh, I mean, Chick Norris is, like, definitely the, I think, the, you know, the, like, it's the least cool of, of all the... Uh, <laughs> the 80s action stars, I feel like, you know, basically mm-hmm. everybody else has some kind of like, you know, a, a little bit exotic appeal where like, even if the movies are deeply reactionary, you know, you can say like, there's a way to read Schwarzenegger and Stallone as artists, you know, and as <laughs> auteurs, but like Chuck Norris is just so totally cornflake and wonder bread, like yeah. land. He, he truly oh. feels like a stunt man that just was like, Hey, we don't have yeah. our lead. Could you do it? Like that's, I mean, that's what it felt like while I was watching it. It was really funny to me seeing the whole Bruce Lee discourse around once upon a time in Hollywood, because, you know, there were so many people who were like, Oh, Rick Dalton could, you know, uh, you know, this would, this would never happen. Like Brad Pitt could never beat Bruce Lee. And it's like, well, Chuck Norris, you know, uh, in, in like, you know, actual Hollywood history, you know, sure. It's like a, a, was a fixed fight, but Chuck Norris was like, you know, the original stunt man who like shouldn't have beaten Bruce Lee, um, but did. And so, yeah, you know, I, like it, it totally feels, uh, he totally feels kind of just accidental to me and like, <laughs> yeah. and it's, and it's also very telling that I feel like his most enduring success, um, was on television, you know, as Walker, Texas Ranger beyond, you know, the, the Canon movies. Like, I think that's, you know, where the like Chuck Norris joke, like me, yeah, like, like the manly man. Yeah. Uh, right. biceps know. on biceps kind of guy. Yeah. Even though that's right. really not what his screen presence was. He's actually kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Like, like he just kind of like right. vacuous in a way that I don't Is he always like this too? Like what, in the same as missing in action? Is he the same in all the films? That I've, you've I've never found him to play. Like he never plays he a character. He just kind of plays the martial artist badass guy with, with no real emotion. Yeah, pretty thing. much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Bruce Lee was like a million times more charismatic and him and oh, Bruce yeah. Lee were actually yeah. like kind of like friends. Like they, I actually mm. believe that I was looking this up that Bruce Lee uh, actually consulted on a lot of Chuck Norris's movies as like the, oh. the uh, sort of like a fight choreographer well i will say there's a ton of of like kicking in this film as <laughs> yeah. opposed to yeah. actual punching or anything like that like there's a sequence which, which is weird to see in a vietnam movie context <laughs> right <laughs> absolutely because you like I wa- how many of these young guy. traumatized boys were like uh you know martial artists like trained martial artists yeah <laughs> like that that sequence where he, i think he kicks a dude like four times in a row and then just tosses him out a window yeah and it's just uh there's moments like that that don't seem to those were the moments I enjoyed, to be honest, and it doesn't seem to fit with like the rest of the baseline of what this movie is. Because there's a couple absurd moments that I wish the whole movie did the entire time. Like yeah. I wish it was always as absurd. Like the moment where he uh, he goes underwater and then rises in slow motion uh, underwater, and he's got this soaking wet giant machine gun that he's just firing off. There's like, so much slow motion in oh this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it's so weirdly like fetishistic. Yeah. In like a like it's very clearly designed to be like a 
even because it's so funny. We just talked about this on Rambo. Yeah. And my one thing about Rambo uh, First Blood Part Two is I was like, this so is much style. Well, <laughs> at least it's so like on another planet in yes. terms of the way that it's stylized exactly. that like there, there's something weird about this that feels ickier because it's yep. just like 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 a real world context what is the context for me to just shred a bunch of Vietnamese people yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. in slow motion and do it like righteously? Right. And that's kind of what this this ultimately kind of yeah. read to as for me, which, by the way, for anyone who hasn't read it, and thanks for Nathan for... Uh, I, I noticed that Nathan had read this piece too, but there's a piece on Letterboxd by the user PD187. Oh my God. He did... Dude, that, that article like changed my life. Like yeah. turned me to a fucking conspiracy. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put it level. in the show notes of this episode yeah. so that people can get a chance to read it in full. Cause unfortunately we don't have the time to really like dive into it. Cause it's like thousands of words on this movie and yeah. he, and he traces the history from 1973 from, uh, actually I don't know if it's he or she there. Um, uh, father was a sort of like, you know, uh, a Vietnam vet and had a, so they, they heard a lot about like, you know, people who had these anxieties about these sort of, our boys are missing and the government turned their backs on them. Right. And it tracks it from 1973 all the way into, you know, sort mm -hmm. of Hollywood's relationship with the story, how they started sort of pushing these narratives, how Bo Gritz got involved, who we talked about oh on God. Rambo First yeah. Blood Part 2, because that we we did mention Bo Gritz because he was like the original conspiracy theorist that, right. you know, actually pointed to all of this. But then he relates it actually to, Chuck Norris and sort of like Chuck Norris's background history with Bruce Lee and with Polanski and ties it into like a once upon a time in Hollywood kind of story and then ties it all the way back to like fucking like CIA and white nationalist like stuff and the history of John John Wayne's like the Green Beret uh, and Chuck Norris it being in that as well. And it was just like, this whole article is absolutely insane. It will give you so much context for everything that we're about to talk to here, which is just the actual conspiracy laying out what it is that the guys believed and then how yeah. certain people in Hollywood who had, you know, find were financially motivated by some of these guys ended up making scripts that basically cathartically rendered this conspiracy theory, like kind of like, uh, valid, and then also how that seeped into normal people's perception. Yeah, a lot of people mm -hmm. probably who might be a little like you know not curious enough to research it for themselves. It's probably sure. just like, oh man, Rambo, he's got to go get all those <laughs> prisoners of boys. war that they're just torturing <laughs> back there. Yeah, uh, when by the '90s they had done a full scale like Washington <laughs> inqui like yeah. inquiry into all of this, like, and we're like, it's fine. There's guys. zero shred of like physical evidence of any of this of any kind. They were like, we had, like even John. McCain, like, you yeah. know, yeah. not a lefty. He's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, there's no, and, and an actual prisoner of war in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, Even yeah, he is say. like, yeah, there was no prisoners of war after we signed the accords. <laughs> like they sent them all back and like, yeah. so it's just fascinating to watch two movies that are so completely, you know, you know, embrace this as like, yeah. you know, hi history basically. Yeah. And that itself is kind of fascinating and kind of drives, you know, my Enter entertainment entertainment value for both these films kind of goes up a little bit when you give it all of yeah. that context. Yeah, I think also there's a, a difference between some of the the moments in uh, POW compared to this one. Like with POW, they have plenty of that you know conspiracy 
dictatorial stuff and yeah, because I American... would just say the premise of both is the same. Yeah, right, right, right. and all of that. Like, they, but they you know, do they take different the modes of action. Whereas, but there are moments where it shows the the American soldiers as kind of like prejudice and things like that, very very subtly, but it does mm-hmm. it. Whereas with it, this one, it op- like the first thing that happens when he gets to Vietnam is Chuck <laughs> Norris refuses to shake the hand of the Vietnamese leader, and you know it turns out that of course Chuck Norris was right about him, but like yeah. we, he don't, know we don't know that, <laughs> so it just comes off as completely racist, <laughs> and so you're just kind of like uh, not a good start, I would say, for relations. But but, but, but Chuck. Norris is the cool, smart guy. Right. He knows so everything. he figured it out. Yeah. He, they were after him the whole time. So, you know, they try to make up for that uh, later on. And it, it's just <laughs> it, it's so it's just not sensitive to, to the subject matter. It's, Whereas at least yeah. with POW, although it isn't, it, it kind of has moments it's, where it's it tries. a little bit like we'll give it credit for being a little bit more complicated. It, yeah, it's a little <laughs> more nuanced. <laughs> Tiny. Yeah, bit. I, I think that, you know, POW has like loftier aspirations a little bit yeah. in terms of the filmmaking where it like maybe wants to be a sort of platoon or like Hamburger Hill type. Yeah. You know, comment on the 60s in addition to being just like a war movie. You know, there's that scene where all the soldiers are singing Proud Mary for some reason. Right. Um, and, you know, so it feels like it, it it almost feels to me a little bit more like, you know, the Steel Helmet, you know, uh, the Sam Fuller movie where it's like it has a little bit to say about the, the war in terms of like a sociopolitical statement. But missing in action is just like total like emotional um you know, like pure ideology, you know, it's just like totally convinced of the existence of POWs and you know, POW, the escape even takes place like at the very end of the war. So it's even not fully like entirely giving into the insane conspiracy in the way that missing in action is where it's like, this is a decade after Vietnam and these guys you know, are somehow still alive. Oh yeah. Uh, Well, and, and, and the actual narrative itself is just him proving it. Because the reason exactly. the reason he gets to Vietnam at all is because they're having further talks at like this public thing. So the whole point is that he's just going to go there and show everyone at the giant press conference that there were POWs. Yeah. And weirdly enough, too, this movie has no interest in the actual POWs. Like no. they're, they're no. not people. No. They're just they're literally props for Chuck Norris to prove that he's right. Yeah. Whereas like at least in POW, the escape. Like they actually do investigate them as people who were pr- imprisoned right. and have you know traumas and have things to say to each other and like here like they are just literal like Chuck Norris they are like the MacGuffin of the movie that Chuck Norris yeah. has to and find them and what's reveal fascinating, them. Fascinating, and I mean we're, we're, I'm jumping a little bit, but I think it just correlates well. Is is at the end when he does that smile? It's it's <laughs> it's the only time that he emotes throughout the entire film, yeah. and you can tell that it's not a smile of like we got our boys back. It's more of a smile of like I fucking told you so. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's there's not an ounce of like yeah. I act of, of empathy. It's just uh, I'm right because I'm fucking Chuck Norris, and I told you I'd figure this out. You know, and it, it, even that yeah. the ending that's supposed to be like triumphant still has this this lack of sensitivity. It has a smugness. To it. Yeah, yeah. You're like, dude. What? I mean, and that's <laughs> about. Something you know, that's like, like completely fake. So you're yeah, just like exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that's the whole kind of the, you know the like evolution of the POW MI myth, you know, because it, it sort of rises actually during the war when there are POWs and you and the official policy, you know, before the Nixon administration was, you know, keep it quiet. If your family member is a POW, you're not allowed to talk about it. 
you know, it's a private government issue. They'll figure it out. However, you know, then these organizations start badgering the government and, uh, you know, the Nixon administration puts out this, you know, like something like 2000 POWs or something. And then the war ends and it's like no longer this emotional, like issue about just families, you know, concerned about their sons or whatever. It like turns into this, you know, proving that we're right, that like America is injured in somehow, you know, and that it's not the aggressor, that it's really the the victim of the war. Um, It just turns into this total nutcase thing. And like you say, it's not even like a a feeling really. It's just like a need to, to prove. (laughs) Right. And I, and I find, you know, the kind of the blankness of Chuck Norris interesting in that way, because it really reminds me of, uh, the like most iconic symbol of the POW MIA issue, you know, the, the black, uh, POW MIA flag, which has the like white, this white oval in the center, with a black silhouette of this sullen looking soldier looking down and there's like a guard, you know, a watchtower in the distance and some barbed wire. And it says POW MIA, you are not forgotten. (laughs) And it's the only flag, you know, that's flown above the white house other than the stars and stripes. The only other flag that hangs in the Capitol rotunda. Um, it's required to fly above most government buildings at least six days a year. Um, but it's just, you know, founded on this, like, now over time, you know, it's, it's come to just represent generally like the missing in action from every American war, but it's founded on this total lie. And it's also, you know, it's just this like blank silhouette, the unknown soldier. And I feel like Chuck Norris in this way is like supposed to kind of represent the, the unknown soldier, you know, cause he's just like total at like a blank slate to project some kind of feeling upon. And, you know, yeah, just put him in jeans, plaid, cowboy (laughs) boots, have him walk through a Vietnam strip club. And he's the man. And you know what I find (laughs) interesting, too, is throughout the film, like a lot of the time what they do writing wise is they give these guys like, you know, a scene where it shows how intelligent they are battlefield wise or something like that. But there are like several times throughout this film where he just goes, don't worry, we'll figure it out. And then it cuts to the next scene in which they've already figured it out. <laughs> and you're just kind of like, they do that, I think, three or four times in the movie. And it, it gets to the point where I'm just kind of like, it's like the movie just, it's like Chuck Norris himself knows that there's a script, like even his yeah. character, and he doesn't we'll have get to there. figure it out. We'll get there. Don't yeah, worry about it. The pages it. are coming in. I sense it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it doesn't even have, and I, I do think that, I mean, there is like something so empty about Chuck Norris's performance that does oh, kind so of create like a, like, a, like a weird, uh, you know, sort of off-kilter quality to it. But I really yeah. did feel like this was missing like the stylized like psycho sweaty energy oh, of, yeah, of, sure. of Rambo and even Stallone is that, you know, his movie has that energy and Stallone is like completely intimate in his performance. Yes, so yeah. you kind of get like two different modes that you can engage that movie on. That was and the thing too. It's just like Norris doesn't even act. There's no. like nothing about it. He just says his line and then shoots some people. No, like even, even when he's doing like absolutely insane things like, uh, sneaking out of his hotel going and murdering one of the Vietnamese officials <laughs> yeah. and then making his way back and they're being like, okay, a Vietnamese official just got murdered. So like someone want to check on the American hero. Yeah. 
And he gets into the room just in time to rip the girl's shirt off, jump into bed with her, and and pretend that he's having sex. And the face that he makes when they come in and they're just like supposed to believe that he didn't go and kill that guy because he's he was he's clearly having sex right now. Yeah, it's a completely blank expression, which is just like, dude, if he was not having sex. Like it's so it's so clear, and I yeah. mean obviously they they can't prove that, but it's just like it's this thing where it's just like if that's the face he makes while he's having sex, like they should check if she's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of feel like Chuck Norris also could very well have never had sex. Like, <laughs> he just has no feeling at all. Like I just don't believe him in a relationship with a human being uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, at all. Another another weird thing about just the perspective of that part. And, like, eventually she finds out what he was doing. So I'm sure a bit of re- calmness came to her. But at, the, at first, he doesn't tell her. So she's just assuming she's being sexually assaulted. <laughs> and, then, and then, like, ten seconds later, it's revealed of what he was doing. So yeah. she, like, I, just, yeah. I was, like, there, from the perspective of her character, yeah. I was really concerned. I was like, you must be just flipping out right now. Like, holy shit. Yeah, he can't even, like, fake act. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, because he, he could have even been like, look, this is what I'm about to do. Right. <laughs> it's like, they're coming. We have to, you know, just anything. Like, three lines where he's just like, they're coming, just strip. And she gets a little confused. And she's <laughs> like, okay, but why? But no, instead, he just starts stripping her down immediately. And all I could think of yeah. was like how she must just be fucking so scared, <laughs> like of what's going on. It's just such a bizarre sequence. There's a lot of just generally like very bizarre moments in this movie that almost feel a little like to me the parts in Bloodsport and Kickboxer where Jean Claude Van Damme is kind of just like wandering around exploring the these you know countries that uh, are not his own. Uh, but because Chuck Norris like totally lacks that strange charm, it's just like a very weird travel movie. Like the part where he goes to Thailand and there, there are strangely several, uh, like instrumental electro tracks by ice T on the soundtrack <laughs> to this movie that play when know he that. Goes to Thailand. <laughs> Yeah, and there's also, like, I can't remember what it is now because I uh, watched this, like, two weeks ago. But there's some American song, like, pop song that gets covered uh, in a club or something. Yeah, at, at the strip club. I can't remember what song it is, yeah. but I remember thinking it was oh super God. weird that yeah. they were doing, like, an Eng- like an English pop song. Yeah, I oh, my God. I, like, need to remember what that was <laughs> because it's, it's so bizarre uh, just, like, having that little detail uh, in this movie. Yeah. No, yeah, and and that that part is also where the car chase happens, right? Is that does that happen in Thailand? Oh yeah, I forgot about that because yes. it's like yeah. extremely because, random. Because he he meets up with his his buddy who's there, who I think was also uh, a vet, and he's, he's like just the, like he's, he's like, like, like we're gonna go get we're gonna go get these boys. Yeah, we're gonna get them, and it, he, you those just boys. you couldn't believe it less. Like you just really don't feel that he cares at all. No, no about. You know these these. I'll give it. I'll people. give it for this side character though. Like he's he's trying to work with Chuck Norris. Oh, and there, there's one great gag where Chuck Norris walks in on him having a threesome. Oh That's yeah, pretty funny. yeah. But yeah, like he and Chuck Norris then you know form a plot that they are just going to get these POWs out, and that's basically like the rest of the movie. It's just them breaking them out. Yeah. Uh, through you know uh, just good old American determination. 
Yep. Uh, and yeah, the, uh, that the action in this is kind of weird because we talked about it before, but there's that suspense scene where he like leaves his place and it's a bit of an espionage movie for a second. Yeah. And then there's like like an action car chase scene in mm-hmm. the war movie. And then he's doing martial arts in the war movie. <laughs> yeah. So like, like none of this action makes sense within like the context of Vietnam war movies that, cause I mean, we've talked about a couple on this show, like uh, even something like casualties of war, which we loved. It's just like, how do you watch that? And then watch this. Like there, yeah. you, there's You're no, right. there's like a lot, there's not a lot something's of actual, lost in translation. Like, jungle gunplay. No, you know, which is, which is odd when you think about it. It's it's a lot of Chuck Norris. I mean, when he's I think in the part in Thailand is when he like kicks the shit out of that one dude and throws him out the and window, then throws yeah. him out the window on top of all the you know the, yeah, the, the, the takes, like shop carts below a food vendor, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I thought was really funny because I'm like he just heard an innocent trying yeah, to just hurt what an you. asshole. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. This movie is about how Chuck Norris just goes around like terrorizing people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, oh and then, yeah, it's really the final third that is just him gunning down. Yeah. Just shredding yeah. people. And they even play like th- th- that sequence I was talking about earlier where he rises out of the water and like oh, the yeah. big wet machine gun. And there's and like this which really ins- totally like inspirational like score. It's very playing. triumphant yeah. music. Yeah. And um, they even play it for a bit of comedy because they blow up Chuck Norris's boat or whatever he was on. And then he goes under the water and like three Vietnamese soldiers start laughing. Oh yeah, laughing. they start cackling. They're like, ha ha ha. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then Chuck Norris rises out of the thing and they all just go like, what? ha ha, what? And then like, boom, explosion. And he just gets, they just get murked by Chuck Norris's machine gun. And then it was just such an odd tone. They kept changing it. It was like, here's your action beat. But then there's a bit of comedy here. But then you're going to watch a bunch of Vietnamese mm-hmm. get slaughtered. And then like it was just so all over the place. And in a, in a kind of good way in, in that sequence, because at least I was engaged. You know, I thought it was like entertaining. It's not right. good. You weren't like bored to death. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of it is, is, is pretty, pretty dull. Thanks to well, Chuck Norris. I feel like he if he just brought a little something, it could have been. It's definitely the worst performance I've ever seen in a, as the lead in a Vietnam War movie. Like, yeah. like, oh, yeah. like I kept thinking this whole time. I was thinking of is it is it Tom Devine who's the guy in um uh Rolling Thunder? Uh I kept I kept thinking about familiar. how completely useless he is in comparison to that guy who has just you know, who, oh, yeah. who has the the nom PTSD, who was a prisoner of war, and he has that great monologue about how he t- tells him how you have to learn to love the rope yeah. and he has this really complex psychology that he brings home and when he starts unleashing sort of like domestic violence um alongside tommy lee jones right um you know like there's just sort of like this this weird like almost sensual brotherly bond that those two have in that movie that is really um like interesting to watch yep and i just couldn't help but be like wow so this guy they gave chuck norris the same plot as those guys or the same like <laughs> trauma the and experiences yeah, yeah. that they should have. Right. And he just doesn't, it doesn't feel like it changes him at all. It doesn't register. No, the closest the we get we- is the opening scene where it's plot, where it's just him having that nightmare and then kicking the TV being like, man, after nom. watching Spider-Man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, by the way, they have like a good 30 second spot of that Spider-Man, Spider-Man part. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I was, I was a little curious. Like did that, 
relate to anything for anybody there? Was that no clue? Okay, <laughs> I just was wondering. It, it, it seems like one of those like just like okay, we need some sort of character specificity, and we're not going to get it he, out of his performance. He likes so Spider Man. He likes Spider Man. <laughs> uh, we we need to differentiate him from Rambo somehow because yeah. we literally just stole this plot from the treatment for the Rambo script. Yeah, it's just <laughs> that's coming out Rambo. next year. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, that's pretty. Ins- I mean, once you know that, it kind of reveals what this movie is, because yeah. because you're just like, yeah, they they saw someone else's script, and they they made their own, and they turned it around in like one year to get it out before, before that movie to claim yeah. like originality. Yeah. I guess I don't know. Yeah, just to get ahead of. I think they yeah. were trying to actually get ahead of any sort of plagiarism because because yep. uh, it was obviously plagiarized <laughs> in some small regard. Yeah. So. When you consider that, then you're like, oh, that's why Chuck Norris isn't performing. They didn't even have time to, like, figure out what he was or yeah. to find an actor who could perform or, you know. Yeah, it really does feel like they just got one of the stuntmen to do it. And they, uh, n- not to mention that they also um, shot this and Braddock Missing in Action, the prequel, back to back. So There's a prequel? It's just like the whole a, thing a, is a prequel so to this film? line. There's a, there's a prequel to this film? Yeah, the sequel, uh, Braddock Missing in Action, is like about Chuck Norris's Vietnam experience. Is it um, Chuck Norris again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Holy there's a third shit. film as well. Um, but the first and second ones were <laughs> filmed. Trilogy? Yeah, yeah. And oh the first and second ones were filmed like immediately back to back. So they had finished two Missing in Action movies, in fact, before uh, Rambo F- First Blood Part Two came out. Um, oh, man. Which is like kind of an amazing testament to the canon films machine. <laughs> yeah, for real. I had no idea this was a part of a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. No, can- canon films were pretty I honestly nuts might check as them out like just producers being of- able to pump stuff out. I mean, when we get to POW, they also produce right. that. And it's funny, the screenplay is by the same guy as this. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, oh which is God. just really funny. <laughs> I, I also feel like in terms of tone, it's worth mentioning that um, – the Vietnamese general is played by um, James Hong, who is like most familiar to me as the head waiter in the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I just like he is not really giving a very serious performance to begin with. Like you can tell that this dude is just kind of like fucking around a little bit, uh-huh. uh, probably with this very stupid movie. But I just like could not take the movie uh, you know it was like even more uh, difficult to take it seriously <laughs> for that reason. he was supposed to be the like top dog in the vietnamese the north vietnamese military yeah so <laughs> totally all right well i think we're gonna enter the reductive rating on this one which for you nathan is the part of the show where we reduce we take away all the the words and the nuance and we reduce the movie between a number between one and five but also it's turned into kind of like closing statement so if there's any scene yeah. uh or line or thing you haven't had a chance to get to that you want to mention it this is the part where we do that for me I, this has got to get the two i think <laughs> because uh there's really i think it's one of the worst 80s and vietnam movies that i've ever seen yeah. <laughs> and chuck norris and and like the only thing that it has of interest going for it is how like not good chuck norris is and how it pushes like a completely ludicrous like historical conspiracy as fact uh 
inside the body of something that's not at all convincing because even yeah. at least with rambo first blood part two which pushes pushes the same conspiracy yeah it's yeah. like there's something more to engage with in that right. film like ra- like you still even like rambo's background you, you still identify with like his sort of like transcendental rage that he has yeah, exactly you know and uh i he mean just like, wants to help the troops and get them and and, and and cosmatos like really does nail like again that sweaty psycho style that it has to it with yeah. like these huge colors these huge explosions one explosion yeah. like literally killed a guy on set uh <laughs> so that like, gets some added points <laughs> yeah well yeah i hate to say it sorry guy a little bit though. but like that's pretty insane that's, that pretty that's how st- stupidly large these explosions were um R. and R. and and i mean like you have stallone who you know even even at his his worst can carry a movie yeah um yeah, so sure. You know, just even in direct comparison to a movie that's basically pushing the same ideas, it's just like it, it's un, it's unbelievably poor in comparison. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to get kind of like a lower two for me, I think. I think, honestly. And uh, this is it is pretty amazing, though, that this was the thing that Hollywood was after and that this was a huge financial success. It that, was? Yeah, it was. That oh, That's wow. why they made three of them. And that's yeah, why they, okay. like it was it, there was this. uh um, it was a commercially successful film and part of actually what uh, sort of like I, I mentioned the article by PD187 at the top of the, the section here but part of what he kind of dives into is just like how much someone validating this conspiracy was like um, you know what it meant to a lot of because, because it was transitioned from a literal thing into more of like an emotional idea yeah. of we were betrayed right. we our government let us down like that it became more of a way to sort of emotionally get that sentiment across yeah um, and people is, were it, already it, pretty unhappy with vietnam itself so maybe it was also kind of that push to continue <laughs> that a little bit you know yeah they so were it's also kind, i mean it's kind of the like right-wing version of watergate basically you know that's just like total loss of faith in the u.s government yeah yeah uh, yeah Exactly, and I think that it's interesting that so many movies came out and that they were popular yeah. of of, yeah. of this nature. Like it, it speaks to kind of like what people were interested in seeing and feeling uh, at sure. you know in 1984 and 1985 that the this and Rambo: First Blood Part Two were like two of the biggest action movies ever at the time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm also gonna give it the two. I mean, I just I just found a lot of it to be pretty pretty dull. I mean, Chuck Norris just doesn't act really <laughs> like i mean especially after seeing uh pow which we'll be talking about soon um where david is like you know clearly trying to give a performance and he a lot more nuance to his character and things like that even though they're they're pretty much doing the same conspiracy uh it's like just, it's the same plot basically yeah, yeah it just feels like there's more emotion uh in in pow so uh yeah i i, I don't have much else to say i just i found it i found it to be pretty dull and with something like this where they're gonna take a conspiracy theory that you know some could probably argue you, you gotta dangerous. you gotta go nuts with it right you gotta yeah, go rambo for absurd, blood part well, two yeah that's why i love yeah, it because yeah, yeah. it's just so absurd and over the top and stylized so i mean that's why i fucking love rambo part two it's not that i agree with <laughs> conspiracy theory i just love watching it and uh, this one is just 
just dull. So yeah. it's it's just how do you translate that feeling? Is it Chuck Norris like doing a blank expression, being like "Who me having sex?" Right. Or and do then- you do <laughs> Rambo, who like unloads three hundred rounds into an intelligence computer? I was just gonna say <laughs> they don't have that scene because that's fucking amazing. Like 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 the bit where Keanu fires his gun in Point Break, like he's right. like having an orgasm. Yeah, he's just like nah! yeah, and Rambo's <laughs> shouting at the top of his lungs, like like that is such a visceral expression of that feeling. Yeah. And it's and it's Stallone, and it's cinematically compelling to watch that feeling, yeah. you know, be expressed in that way. Whereas this doesn't at all. It just has the plot. To Norris. It, you know, Norris is buff, but he's kind of that like fifty-year-old dad buff. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> he, Stallone. He, he could fight though. He could fight. Though. Yeah, just I, I love that sequence with Stallone like shooting up and shooting all the intelligence stuff, and there's just nothing at all that comes close to that in in MIA. So. Yeah, there's no rawer expression yeah. of that than right. him literally shooting the computer. Yeah. Like we said, the, the most we get is at the end he gives a little smile, and all it is is a "fuck you." I was right. I'm Chuck <laughs> Norris. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, gonna give it a two. Right for you, Nathan. I think I'm also gonna have to go with uh, good old number two. Um, <laughs> you know, for the for the reasons that you guys uh, outline. You know, even though this is this like very emotionally sort of invested conspiracy theory. There is a startling lack of affect to this movie and to Chuck Norris's performance. Um, you know, I do have a little bit of fondness for him just like as a person, uh, because the whole, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, the whole like Chuck Norris meme is just like very strange. And, um, I actually grew up in uh, central Texas, like 40 minutes from his compound. Um, so, you know, uh, you don't know. He's this just like weird American presence. And I actually uh, kind of started to have a different view of him um, because of the uh, Guy Madden movie, The Green Fog. I haven't uh, seen I that, but I've heard I heard it's good. Saw that. Yeah, you know, it's this remake of Vertigo using footage of, of other films and television shows filmed in San Francisco. And there's like an amazing sequence with some, I, I think it might be like a TV movie or something or a television show from early in Chuck Norris's career where Guy Madden uses all of these like extremely blank shots of Chuck Norris's face to like recreate Jimmy Stewart's Vertigo. Um, so He'd be very good at like, that role. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> Just know, the blank is, space, you know, or blank face. Exactly, exactly. Like there is a certain kind of like expression of the traumatic experience that I, uh, in Chuck Norris's blankness and just like utter charisma void that I find kind of interesting. <laughs> um, what, is, but, what, what is your favorite Chuck Norris movie slash performance? Like, what's the one we should check out yeah. if we haven't? Well, I, I mean, go ahead. Honestly, like you got at the end of the day, you got to just like turn on some episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger, <laughs> uh, which which uh, I, I, you know, actually, the, you know, inspired by the movie um, Lone Wolf McQuaid, also starring David Carradine of our next movie. So maybe actually Lone Wolf McQuaid is the uh, is that the, the one, one where go- they verse each other? Because I was actually just going to mention that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. cool, cool. Because I so that one is is pretty decent. I was yeah. I watched listed that one. I was really hoping it'd be good after I watched these two films. So 
it's at the very least like one of the more like legitimately iconic ones i think um invasion usa is also pretty nuts um yeah that's the one i was thinking about doing next because it's just it it, it had the poster with him in front of like the white house with like two yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) right up for this show absolutely um and i i will say you know this is just like more of a a movie of like weird odd moments of coincidence than anything else like you know the spider-man cartoon and the ice tea songs on the soundtrack and i remembered what the song was that's covered it's uh do you think i'm sexy by rod stewart (laughs) (laughs) you know just having this like broken english cover of do you think i'm sexy in a movie (laughs) with a star who is not sexy at all um, is like kind of great but also like you know it's it's just those parts you know it's not the sum total um it's you know it's just a lot of like broken pieces oh man Uh, chuck norris is in in the wrecking crew how was he not in once upon a time in hollywood that's the scene that's the sharon tate scene where she watches her own movie she's watching the wrecking crew yeah that is Uh, and and chuck norris is apparently in that because bruce lee also consulted on that as the fight choreographer oh okay which is in which did get included in the movie yeah interesting I will also say as another reading recommendation, if you go out and find that wild PD-187 piece um, and want it's to so read good. more. It's so Everyone should go down and read it in the notes like right now. Yeah. <laughs> also just generally like one of the best letterbox presences, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but there's this really amazing book um, called MIA, Myth-Making in America by H. Bruce Franklin, which is like first – really lucidly clearly like lays out the facts and the numbers to just totally like dispel this myth um, and remove kind of all of the emotion and feeling from it. So it's just like very clearly revealed as a lie. Um, But then he sort of breaks down the like cultural influence um, looking at, you know, the missing in action movies, Rambo, um, Uncommon Valor with Gene Hackman also. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, um, there was a, there the, was another one too, uh, Good Guys Wear Black. Is that what it yeah, was? Yeah, like, from 78. In earlier Chuck Norris movie. Um, and then there's like, you know, some like shitty paperback thrillers and like board games and video games and stuff <laughs> of course, that came out of this that he Nothing says at. America like selling back people's like unhinged traumas oh, back to them. <laughs> Roll to see I, if you get the POW saved. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will. Uh, one more thing on the additional reading note, though. I do actually, uh, we're recording this September 19th. I do have uh, an article actually about the whole POW MIA thing coming out tomorrow, uh, September 20th, in conjunction with Rambo Last Blood um, over at the outline. Uh, awesome. Which so, when, so when people hear that, I think that will be about a week ago. Yeah. But yeah. there will be an article up. Yeah. So go yeah. check it out. We'll we'll probably put it in the show notes as well. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Nice little primer to the uh, to the whole weird thing. So <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for um, that was missing in action, 1984, and we're going to be right back. We're going to be talking POW, the escape. They stay here. The prisoner they couldn't hold is now the soldier they can't stop. POW, the escape. All right, we are back and we are talking POW, 
The Escape. Also known as Attack Force Nam or something like that. Attack Force Nam Behind Enemy Lines <laughs> is also yeah. the other one from the year 1986. Is an American action film directed by one Gideon Amir, his one and only uh, film that he directed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it stars David Carradine uh, in a similar uh, role to uh, Chuck Norris. He plays Colonel James Cooper. Who you think this was the director's story he just had to tell? <laughs> he needed to. Well, also it was a one. It's same production company, Canon. Oh yeah, Canon, yeah. the Canon yeah, or whatever uh, it was. So. Looking at his IMDb page, he was a producer on the Missing in Action movies and um, wrote all of the American Ninja movies. Um, (laughs) And he's actually still working today. Uh, He is a producer on shows like DC's Doom Patrol, uh, which is like (laughs) amazing. I don't know. Kind of a a fascinating career pivot from uh, canon films to like contemporary teen television, I guess. Well, <laughs> honestly, what that kind of just shows you is kind of just how the industry has changed. I think. Yeah. I think I think it's just like clearly this guy, he just follows the trends and he produces the stuff that people are paying money to see. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the uh, so, like how to track the revenue of uh, teen television on. I, I'm, I'm assuming the DC's Doom Patrol is like a CW show. Yeah, I think so. Uh, or sci-fi, maybe. Honestly, I have no fucking idea. I am, like, out of my depth. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, just you know but, uh, I think CW, yeah. Did this film uh, do well? Uh, like, did it do well? So, like, uh, What was the thing we just did? talked about? This is There's a connection here. We just talked about the CW on the show for some reason, too. Oh, You're right. the guy from Beastmaster yes. is also... The guy who played Beastmaster oh now does roles for the CW superhero shows. Oh, <laughs> he was on. He was on one of those. Yeah. So like a lot of these guys who didn't find work like after the like you know after the eighties ended, uh, even though they were you know ripping off Stallone movies and ripping off Schwarzenegger <laughs> movies, yeah. now they're just doing CW superhero TV shows. Oh, okay. <laughs> This is officially a trend. We are marking it right here. Um, (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) But I will say, POW, maybe just on the virtue that we paired it with Missing in Action, it seems like like a good movie. (laughs) Yeah, I had had a lot of fun with it. Like, after you get, it's kind of like Rambo in the sense of after you get past the the main conspiracy theory, (laughs) you're just kind of like, all right, well, now that we're past that, let's see what you guys got character-wise and plot-wise. There's some twists and turns. At least... You know, this this had the idea of if we're going to make a movie about how we should care so much about these these fictional POWs. Let's make it about them. Yeah, let's make a movie <laughs> about a guy who really deeply <laughs> does care for them. Yeah. And actually struggles with caring for them because some of them are assholes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he Everybody does it on a home. principle anyway. Uh, and it kind of does more of like a like a reverse heist, like a great escape style yeah, narrative to yeah. it where it, it, the the intrigue is one who they're breaking out the the different characters and then the logistics of how they're breaking them out yeah which just on its face is a better idea for a movie yeah yeah than absolutely. um than just uh chuck norris like single-handedly taking 
just a, a few guys. Well, have. yeah, and and doing it because he just has to prove that he's right, like not <laughs> yeah, doing it for any other reason. Whereas actually caring you know, about the humanity, it's a little silly and it's a little saccharine. But David Carradine, what's the line that he has? Everybody goes home. Yeah, everybody goes home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah. he, he has a thing that he believes in that he sticks to, yeah. and you believe that he believes in it, it, it at the very least. Yeah. Even if uh, I will say there is a bit of a significant downgrade, or it, uh, maybe it was just the way that we watched it. it yeah, se- it yeah. seemed like we had to watch it on like daily motion it, it, <laughs> 480p. It, it seemed like there was a little bit less money or craft allowed yeah. to be put into this because at least joseph zito you know he was able to get some you know big chase scenes he was able i don't remember where they shot it i think they shot it in thailand actually okay. whereas here i think they had to shoot it in the u.s so they kind of like built some sets and stuff okay. yeah it, it feels like it because it's so much more of a straight-up war movie with like actual battlefields with tanks and stuff Mm -hmm. uh you know which is so different from the almost splinter cell like uh (laughs) set pieces and missing in action where i don't know there's just something so odd about this movie where i kind of went into it thinking you know oh this is like a knockoff of missing in action which is already a knockoff of rambo so it's like (laughs) two degrees a knockoff Maybe that just means it's like more honest or something or like maybe the good genes skipped a generation. Um, But it is interesting how this is like much more of a war movie um, than missing an action ever really is. Yeah, Yeah. well, because I kind of felt like watching this like it's not anywhere near as good, but I kind of got like a little bit of like a Dirty Dozen style vibe out of this in comparison where where just the drama is inherently more compelling to watch. And I mean, David Carradine and Steve James are just much more compelling performers to watch. Yeah. So even even when this does veer into the similar realm of like kind of like ludicrous rah rah, David Carradine like got an American flag like over his shoulder shoulder. while he's gunning (laughs) people down. Steve James is like doing somersaults like while firing his gun it's great uh and (laughs) (laughs) like like at least even when it goes into that you know i had some attachment to steve james i had some attachment to david carradine uh and and it complicates things a little bit too with uh it's captain vin i guess is who they call him in this who is a Vietnamese general who is trying to make his way to his family in America near the tail end of the war. So he's trying to make a deal with David. Yeah, you you get a little bit of that kind of like Inglorious Bastards. Like they're trying to... Exactly, that's exactly what I thought Individuals trying to weaponize the situations and powers that they know that they have for a limited time. And that is just (laughs) inherently more interesting (laughs) than anything that MIA does. Yeah, I I feel like we're, we're giving it credit for just doing things that movies should, should just do. do right but like i guess just in comparison like that the, it seems mm-hmm. it seems thing, amazing <laughs> too when I, when I went into this film and like the first five minutes was even though you have david like still acting much better than chuck norris i got similar vibes at first and i was like are we gonna have <laughs> another one of you know another one of these so i even went into this kind of you know backed up a little bit a little tense like i don't know if i'm gonna like (laughs) this and it was able to convince me otherwise so i mean i don't think it was even necessarily just the comparison to mia because i was about to compare the the hell out of it in regards to just like i thought it was going to be the same movie again but with david carradine so i was just very happy when all these these character uh, moments happened and like there was some more nuance between the 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 characters themselves you know or or even what we just discussed with the, the Vietnamese leader trying to get to America, you know, 
There's just there's more twists, there's more turns, it's just more interesting. There's one wise. genuinely suspenseful sequence where they're trying to break the guys out in the back of the truck. Yeah. And it's the Vietnamese general is has made a deal to if they take him to America, he'll take them out of Vietnam. And uh, the sequence where the guy is like inspecting the truck and yeah. then you think that he's gotten away, but then he's just like, you're in the wrong direction. I'm going to check again. And then he just like brutally shoots that dude in the face like that, yeah. like the actual, even just the visual <laughs> vocabulary of that sequence of events is so much more interesting in direct comparison to Chuck Norris, like escaping out of his room and doing the espionage stuff that he does, which on paper should be interesting, but Chuck Norris for some reason just can't make that interesting. Yeah. I I feel like so much of it really kind of comes down to like just the casting. Yeah. Um, Because even though Chuck Norris is like a bigger star, I guess than David Carradine is David Carradine is just like such a better screen presence. You know, I like trust him uh, almost with my own life, like, you yeah. know, Chuck Norris, I would not trust. With my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like he would, uh, uh, he would leave you behind. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, David Carradine has this moral code apparently, and I like really believe it. And, yeah. um, and also I think the, just like the difference in casting in the, um, like commanders in the two movies, you know, the fact that the, the Vietnamese commander in missing in action is, the guy from Seinfeld and the Vietnamese commander in um, POW the escape is played by Mako who is in the Conan, the barbarian movies. That's right. Right, right. Yeah. Was nominated for an Academy award um, and also voiced uh, Aku in Samurai Jack, which like, I did not know that. Um, So I don't know, you know, just like the, the, the like performance level is just kind of like, even if it's not like the greatest work of either Mako or David Carradine, there's like their presences. There's so yeah. there's a lot more charisma and a lot more gravity um, to their characters than there is like in anyone's performance in Missing in Action. Yeah, something I also liked between uh, Steve James and David was um, as the movie goes on, you know, David's giving his 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 uh, his little. Sp- his slogan, I guess, if it were the the whole "everybody goes home." Yeah, take a shot. And they actually have a have a scene where uh, Steve James like questions him on it. He's like, "Dude, that's that's a that's not a religion. That's a slogan you have." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, I, I just like that. It's you know, it's not super deep or anything like that. But they, they just sort of feel trying... like people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like. It, it, at a certain point, you have to question the leader that just keeps going. Everybody yeah. goes home regardless of who dies they or were, whatever. They were like, dude, even the asshole who was, like, betraying us? They were like, everybody. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's just there's more nuance to it at the end of the day, and I, I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, David Carradine definitely has, like, a weariness to him, too. He does a lot of this, like, I'm getting too old for this shit. Because yeah. it, it's funny, he also is a martial artist, so he's also doing, like, the martial arts yeah, stuff, yeah, which is still just, like, a weird thing from, like, the canon movie. A lot of kicking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is where he's fighting the one other prisoner yeah. while they're in oh the Vietnam God, prison yeah. camp. And as he keeps kicking this guy's ass, the guy that keeps getting sent down to the ground just keeps letting go of the weapon he had and then grabbing another one, getting up and starting to try to do it again. And it's just this, this, uh, it, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty funny to watch actually. And it's not uh, funny in the way that I'm like laughing at it. I think they were kind of trying to do that a little bit because it's, I don't know. It, I found it comedic to see this guy just keep getting knocked down by David, grab another piece of wood <laughs> and try to get him again. 
it also it, I was really surprised by how much of the movie is not given to David Carradine. You know how much yeah. focus there is on the other men, and it really does feel like the difference sort of between this movie and Missing in Action is kind of comes down to like an evolution of genre where POW Escape feels much more in the war movie, uh, you know, the, the kind of classic war movie mode where it's, you know, this ensemble of guys and, um, you know, there is a leader, but they're all sort of given a, a presence within the movie. Whereas Missing in Action is just totally, you know, individualist, like totally yeah. the hero, you know, nobody but Chuck Norris really. And so it just sort of like signal this kind of, I don't know, this, these are both Vietnam war movies, but they're just totally fundamentally different ways. I think of approaching well, war yeah. and conflict. And, yeah. and, and it's amazing too, because they literally have the same plot. Of yep. uh, a, a single guy goes back in to rescue some POWs, and that single guy is from a TV show where he does martial arts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, like, like they could not yeah. have more of the exact same premise, right? And be done completely differently and written by the same guy. That's, yeah, that that too. That's fascinating. It really is to to realize it's been written by the same guy. It's coming out of the same brain, and yet we just have far more nuance in this one. Yeah, and, and like, th there is attention paid to, you know, some of the POWs he's rescuing are suffering from PTSD, like that scene we see when the one guy goes to the the brothel and he even has sort of, like, uh, you know, oh, flash right. cut um, mm -hmm. uh, or, or flashbacks, um, which, uh, to be fair, they did also rip that from Rolling Thunder. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, hey, they're uh, trying. <laughs> but, hey, like, I mean, look, that's a good reference it's point. Good I reference. do love Rolling Thunder. It is one yes. of the more, like, underrated Vietnam oh, uh, sort of psychosis movies that's out there. And, yeah, and, and, I mean, I just, I really loved Steve James in this, too. Yeah, he's great. Uh, all of the stuff where he, him and David Carradine are going back and forth and both of them have just had enough of each other's shit. But, <laughs> yeah. like, they're obviously both, you know, really want to get out of Vietnam yeah, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, like, there's, you know, there's 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 just sort of, like, a, an unconventional, like, push-and-pull relationship between uh, Carradine and sort of the men that he's rescuing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's just, it's so much more compelling to watch on a moment to moment basis, uh, yeah. despite the fact that, uh, you know, I, I don't, I think the films are basically the same length pretty much. And, uh, and despite the fact that this, they didn't clearly didn't have the money to do like as compelling of action. Like, oh, like a lot yeah. of the action in this suffers a little bit in comparison to missing an action just cause they can't do an espionage sequence. They can't do a giant, uh, car chase sequence. They can't do, um, you know, like they, they, they kind of just do sort of like the chaos of war sequences is mostly what well, they do. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is interesting. Um, if Wikipedia is to be believed, if these sources are to be believed, um, their budgets were kind of similar, like Holy missing shit. an action. It lists as either 1.5 or 3 million and POW is 2 million. Um, but it is like, you know, the, the box office grosses are so drastically different between the two movies okay uh, so is this one like last a I assume. <laughs> yeah this was according to uh box office mojo just like 2.5 million as opposed to um missing in actions 23 million wow uh, so oh, wow. pretty significant yeah it, but it is just like very you know very different uses of money and i imagine that like 
Chuck Norris had some specific stipulations for the kind of sequences he wanted to do. Um, I got a one arm the machine gun of, in he, slow yeah. motion. Yeah. Thank you. Did he have a lot of say in that regard, like all the time, pretty much? When you know, it came I, to his movies. I don't actually know, but I kind of feel like he probably would. Yeah. Uh, just being like something. It's definitely the vibe I get from by that point. <laughs> yeah, and he sort of does seem to have you know like a kind of demanding personality maybe. Yeah, uh, and I could feel I could I don't know I could see him having an incredibly inflated image of himself. <laughs> <And Yeah>. Me too. <laughs> probably like making a lot of irrational demands on set. Um, <laughs> whereas you know David Carradine is just like such a like working man. Mm-hmm. Um, of that, like, you know, I, I feel like those were probably two very different onset experiences. Um, Carradine does still get to do some Kung Fu on their asses, though. Hell yeah. yeah. He does yeah. a little bit of that. There, there's a, oh, at one point, I think he just like out of nowhere, like drop kicks a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, also, I wanted to mention this. Um, and this might be might be incorrect. I don't know. Mm. But there is a sequence where uh, David Carradine's character is is in disguise and he's using one of the uh, the conical hats, and he's uh, guiding a donkey. And I swear to God, that's what Tropic Thunder is referencing with RDJ. What he says oh the line God. where he's like, "I'm a lead oh, farmer, right. motherfucker," or whatever. Right. Dude, I'm pretty sure that this is the reference. And I'm like, this is so deep cut. Like, holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> but th- I mean, I've just never seen it in any other Vietnam movie. Yeah, so I didn't far. notice that, but that sounds right. Yeah. So I was like, I just Amazing. thought I had a moment when I saw it, and uh, <laughs> I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's interesting because yeah, again, again, this is still kind of. This movie is still kind of kneecapped by the fact that there's still so many great Vietnam War movies out there. Yeah, yeah. That 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 you know, it just it it, it never reaches that height. It's just like it it has watchable actors attempting to do characters. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you're like, there you go. And I also think the the finale sequence isn't too bad. You know, they have the the part where the the Vietnamese guy is holding the two grenades and he's like, if you don't drop your guns, I'll kill the rest of the troops or whatever. And then, you know, there's that back and forth between David and him where he pushes him into the metal. I love love how every single one of his soldiers is, like, trying to be, or every single one of the POWs, like, each one is stepping up to be, like, the brave one who, like, sacrifices themselves. And every time, Carradine's like, no! (laughs) No! Everybody (laughs) goes home. (laughs) (laughs) What part of that don't you understand, people? (laughs) Yeah, I got this. Don't worry about it. And I love, too, that they even have a nice moment where the one guy, uh, he sacrifices himself, um for the troops uh, by landing on the grenade or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you get that nice moment where it's recalling the, the, the line and he's just like, everybody goes home, right, Colonel? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that kind of thing. Just that, that kind of sappy, you know, goodbye to a, a yeah. character. Yeah, well, and, and I will say that that final action set piece works for me just because it's, it's, it is less of like the slow-mo fetishizing. It's more yeah. matter of fact. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So like sure. I, it's more focused on the brotherhood too. Yeah. More so than just like we're slaughtering a bunch of Vietnamese soldiers. So even though it's like smaller <laughs> in scale it has plenty of that. I, and, and less absurd, like I found it still kind of worked. And that bit where he pushes the dude onto the wooden post and like gores him oh, is yeah. actually oh pretty gross. God. Yeah. And then when they like bring him back while he's gored on this contraption and like seems like he's still alive. Just fucking brutal. Yeah, for sure. 
No, totally. That's uh, that's actually more gory than anything that appears in Missing in Action, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think yeah. they even yeah, do sure. a uh, another shot where they show him like and the wound and everything and oh, him just they? laying down on the ground. See, I, yeah. I was I was more struck it's by just the, the shot of the piece of wood that they put him <laughs> yeah, on because it's got like chunks of flesh on it when they yep. show it after he's been pulled off of it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was like, ooh, a little bit much there. Um, yeah, but the finale ended up being uh, pretty exciting and, and satisfying, I will say. But yeah, I would just say, like, o- overall, it's just like, this just seemed, despite the fact that, again, same premises, this just seemed genuinely uh, interested in the conflict that would yeah. arise if yeah. there were these imaginary POWs. Yeah, exactly. And that there is, like, kind of, like, an interest in the individual POWs. I, I do think that the guy who suffers from PTSD, I think he has that line, too, where he's, like, he tells the uh, Vietnamese general, like, uh, if you shoot me, you'd be doing me a favor. Right. Because he doesn't even want to go home, which is, like, an interesting shade to yeah. point out because Chuck Norris wouldn't have even considered if that guy wanted to go home. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, yeah. it's just like, no, 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 you're going home because you're <laughs> my have, political tool, point. buddy. Yeah, I have a <laughs> point to prove. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's a subplot about, like, uh, of like stealing gold in the middle of wartime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, of course, of course, though, David's like, nope, I'm giving it back to the army. It's yeah. It's not for me. I'm a good yeah, boy. Yeah, which has a little bit of, um, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but Kelly's Heroes, that's a huge part of, uh, yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. that Men on a Mission movie is that during World War II, they just like straight up uh, go behind enemy lines to rob a bank, yeah, oh, like okay. a Nazi bank, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so like it has a little bit of shades of that where they are trying to steal like the, you know, the, uh, the Vietnamese gold on their way out. Um, and then there's the one American guy who wants to take it, but then obviously it's the Vietnamese general who wants to take it on his way home. Um, so like, there's just, there's just so much more happening on like a character conflict level that they seem to like pay attention to and to care about that, uh, it doesn't really make the film rise to, you know, I would say greatness, Yeah. but I appreciated it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. In 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 uh, watching this basically directly after missing in action especially. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um but again, I would say it's probably still does not top Rambo First Blood Part 2. Oh hell no. No. Not even close. No. Which no. W- w- which again I mean I love is I just so movie. truthful in its expression of, you know, again the emotional sentiment of this feeling. Again, if we're going to yep. talk about this sort of POW myth as more of a feeling that vets had Yep. Rambo, that's what I, that's what Rambo, Rambo feels like a real expression of that. And even yeah. he has that corny line at the end of that film where he was just like, we just want our country to care about us as much as we care Get about it. our country. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Fucking Rambo. Baby. Yeah. Uh, and, and so th- this film doesn't quite get to that territory. No. Um, but always glad to watch David Carradine. I want yeah, to see more great. David Carradine. Yeah. Nathan, yeah. Do you yeah. ha- is, is there an underrated David Carradine performance that you can think of? Because sure, I, like, I honestly haven't seen watch a whole shit. lot except for his brief stint in, um, uh, I'm pretty sure he's in The Long Goodbye. I do like him in uh, Death in Race 2000, Streets, even though he spends most of that movie kind of like wearing like a mask. Oh, does he? Yeah. Uh, but he's, I think he, he makes it, I don't know if he's a big part, but I think I saw him in Mean Streets. Yeah, he is in Mean Streets. Yeah. yeah. Um, Larry Cohen's Q, the Winged Serpent. Oh, oh hell yeah! We, we did haven't a done Larry yeah. Cohen we on did, the show. We too. just did Larry Cohen on yeah. the show a few months ago. He was now. on my list. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that he was in that. So we have to do Q 
That's there, awesome, are, there are honestly so many like looking just at his letterbox page right now, like so many movies with fucking amazing posters, like <laughs> yeah, for well, sure. Crime well, Zone uh, and Armed Response. Yeah, and, uh, friend of the show Andrew Law of uh, the Bunta Vista podcast. He recommended a long time ago that we do the Long Riders. Because it's Walter oh, Hill's yeah. cowboy movie with all of the Carradine brothers, all of David Carradine's real brothers. Oh shit! Keith Carradine, uh, Robert Carradine. I didn't know the others were actors. That's cool. Yeah, so they they, they play the James Gang, and so they play oh, like the cool. James brothers in that movie. That's cool. Also, both uh, Quaid brothers and both uh, Keach brothers too. Holy shit! One. Three different sets just of brothers in that movie. All the bros. Wow, just that's awesome. Bros being bros. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we got to do the Long Riders at some point. Yeah. For sure. sure. But yeah, I think maybe angling towards the reductive rating and final statements on this one. Uh, this one for me gets kind of like a low, low three, low nice. three. I would say it. I would say it's not because I, I did give uh, Rambo the three two, but I think that's a uh, cosmically high three. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. In, 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 in comparison, three point ninety nine nine. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, around there. And basically for all the reasons that we've we've said. I mean, we started talking about this one. I feel like it seems like we have less to say, but it's because we started talking about it during the Missing, missing in Action Because <laughs> it's like we yeah. wanted to start talking about this one. <laughs> yeah, already. And basically for all the reasons that we've said, it's just like, you know, th- these actors are actually playing characters. Yep. This, there's at least three layers of plotting to this that reveals more complications about his mission than just rescuing these imaginary uh, POWs. Uh, It's like the line in MIA that he says over and over again, which is, we'll figure it out, or don't worry, I have a plan, (laughs) would never work with this movie, because you would have to show it in some way. (laughs) Yeah, and and I think that there's just, you know, there's a little bit of, of, like, real tension into David Carradine like trying to maintain his moral code that he believes in and that, that you believe right. that he believes in. Yeah. Um, even if it applies to a situation that isn't real, yeah. you, you just, <laughs> you, you do believe his conviction. Like when he looks straight into the general's eyes and he's like, kill me now or I'll be goddamn sure to kill you later. Yeah. Uh, and you know, like that's just like, that's, that's a killer Good line. Stuff. And like, Hell again, yeah. Chuck Norris doesn't even get a cool line like that in his no, movies. That's he's true. kind of just a weirdo. He's See, <laughs> that, that is, that's a good point uh it's like you'd think that they'd at least give him one or two huge one-liners but i don't remember a goddamn thing he said in mia besides we'll figure it out so i just like you know well it's odd and nothing i mean nothing anyone says in either of these movies compares to sylvester stallone we talked about it at length in the episode we did on first blood part two but that bit where he is uh, being tortured, very sensually tortured <laughs> with shirtless yeah. by the Soviets. Yeah. And then he uh, sits behind the desk and they tell him to communicate with like the American general. And he grabs that mic with his bicep. He squeezes yeah. it. Like he's, and, like he's squeezing a throat. Yeah. And the second he <laughs> squeezes it, like lightning strikes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it, he goes, I'm coming for I'm you. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Like goddamn pro wrestler. Yeah, it gets me pumped right now. Uh, just thinking about it. it. Is. Pro wrestling is the best comparison to that like moment for sure. <laughs> he 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 goes for it. But <laughs> but you know, POW the Escape does have, you know, like the fact that it's referencing better Vietnam filmies like or Vietnam movies like Rolling Thunder or better war films like it made me think of Kelly's Heroes. It made me yeah, think of the Dirty yeah. Dozen. It made me think of uh um briefly of uh The Great Escape. 
So yeah. like I was sitting there thinking, oh, okay, this is slightly worse than all of those movies, but like I can see the gestures towards all of them and mm-hmm. they're admirable. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, th- you know, they tried to ra- make a real movie. So yeah, that's what gets it up to the, the low three for me. And I did have a lot of fun watching both Steve James and David Carradine's film and, and Mako. I think Nathan was right too, that there, there actually is shades to the Vietnam general in this film that yeah. are, are serious and different and you know, he, he plays an individual compelling character who has his own sort of, again, the way, again, it, it is kind of important that this takes place near the end of the war and not after the war. Yeah. So at least it has some semblance of like, there were still prisoners of war before the war actually ended. Yeah, right, right. So yeah. like, it makes a little right. more sense. Cause and, I think it was, I, I don't know if it was you uh, that said it, but it was something along the lines. It's like, well, 10 years later, obviously like, did you think the Vietnamese people would be feeding them? Yeah. And like, like they'd be <laughs> yeah. dead. Like, I mean, they wouldn't Yeah, I think be, it was Nathan who mentioned that. Like, you think that, the, yeah, yeah, right. Like, they wouldn't be using their their resources on prisoners <laughs> this long after, like, what would be the point of keeping them? You know, like, there's no logic to it Yeah, they, could, they could just put them in a ditch and cover them up and right. everything's done. Yeah. They don't, they don't need to, like, maliciously torture them in bamboo cages <laughs> yeah. for, like, ten years. So at least with, you're right, with this movie, at least they're like, it's the tail end of Vietnam. It's not ten years after Right, and, and there's something interesting about the general realizing it's the tail end and that it's almost over and that he wants out and weaponizing the little bit of power that he has to make a deal with Carradine and yeah. the soldiers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, there's, there's something at least a dramatically coherent to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas like again yeah. i could not think of a single dramatically coherent thing <laughs> that chuck norris does no not one i know uh even though they like you know in the screenplay they're like yeah sorta like he he has ptsd or something and he like sorta he, he, he cares destroyed a little a television bit. so i mean he's obviously mad about it yeah, he's really <laughs> he mad about spider-man cartoons all day long. <laughs> yeah, watches spider-man all day Exactly. To deal with it. <laughs> yeah, but for you, Jamie? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a three as well. Um, I was just continually shocked at how much I was enjoying the film as it went on. Because I, I, after watching MIA... I wish I could see it in higher quality. Someone, yeah, someone, someone yeah, should Blu-ray this see shit. this on a Cannon. real like, DVD <laughs> uh, set or something like that. But um, yeah, I just I, the fact that they actually try to have character is a huge step up. <laughs> Uh, uh, David himself is obviously giving a performance as compared to Chuck Norris, who isn't and just seems like he's just there and I'm Chuck Norris and that's enough for you people. Um, so yeah, I, I just, the, the, you know, the building brotherhood that happens with, with the soldiers, I really enjoyed. Uh, there's, there's a couple twists and turns, even though they're not all that, you know, intelligent, they're, they're still there and, and you can tell that, uh, they were, they were, uh, Trying to create some more interesting scenarios compared to compared to MIA, and it, it is really shocking to hear that the writer is the same. Uh, I don't know, maybe if Chuck Norris is the one that just took all of the the interesting points out of out of MIA, but it it really seems like he yeah. the writer did a better job with this one. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I'm gonna give it a three, uh, and I yeah I, I thought it was pretty good. I am uh, also gonna go with uh, trusty number three. Um, for much the same reason, you know, I was, it was just like a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. Um, you know, it has a sort of like smallness of scope and a kind of termiteness to it that, you know, almost feels in addition to, you know, gesturing towards like better war movies and better Vietnam movies, like you said, Josh, you know, it also kind of like, you know, it has this ensemble quality kind of almost like a Howard Hawks movie or like, you know, I said earlier, Samuel Fuller's the steel helmet. Um, you know, one of the few Korea movies, um, 
you know, it, it just like has this sort of like nice tight little structure to it that just feels kind of almost classical. Um, whereas missing in action, you know, there's like no way to really think about or examine that movie beyond Chuck Norris. Like that movie just, (laughs) that movie is Chuck Norris. Yeah. Yeah. Like for better and worse, you know, uh, and, EOW the escape, you know, like gives itself to, to multiple people and kind of allows them to exist, you know, not just as characters, but sort of outside the conflict even a little bit, just in that they're not just pure manifestations of ideology, you know? Yeah. Both yeah. missing in action and, and Rambo two are propaganda, but like a very different kinds where you, you know, like you guys were saying, First Blood Part Two just captures the pure, intense feeling visually, uh, the, the kind of the fervence of belief and the, the almost religious faith in this conspiracy theory. Oh, how and many times action. does like Stallone get pinned up like Christ on like the bamboo? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> and, you know, missing in action is just like the dry copy of like what the belief in, you know, live prisoners was. It's like not the feeling of it. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, you can look at first blood part two in a non kind of ideological way, you know, as people who don't agree with that or believe in that theory um, you know, we can say, okay, so this is what it feels like to believe in it. And like, we can establish, right. no, that's, that's a, a great, great way point. to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, missing an action is just like, this is just straight up, you know, like bullshit. That, that's, okay. Okay. Like okay. I so said with part two though, yeah. remember I was like this movie, even though I disagree, makes me feel like a fucking red blooded American. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's one yeah, of those things yeah. where I watch Rambo part two and I'm just like, yeah, America. <laughs> okay. Know, so counterpoint here, here's an interesting thought process. So is missing an action, the more revealing film about how bullshit it is. Oh yeah. It's, it's even, <laughs> it's like cosmic galaxy brain. Be, 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 because it's not viscerally rendering the feeling of it. You're just flipped there going, this is really, gross. this yeah. is, this is yeah. what, this is what I believe. <laughs> We're taking a turn here. I like it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just kind of a like man going slowly insane <laughs> like, in I guarantee you there's a fucking essay of somebody saying that that thing just totally deep <laughs> oh my god that's amazing no oh, yeah I think I, I think that that about that about sums it up because it, it really does feel like Stallone gets on the wavelength of how good it must feel to righteously believe in something like that to be fighting against something to yeah, to yeah. care about something that much, yeah. whereas again yeah. Chuck Norris could not appear to care less, to be more <laughs> vacuous, less there, and strictly believe in like like these weird like gripes he has with just you know like Southeast Asian people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just like I'm really mad at them, and I'm gonna prove that they're assholes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that, that's and then the movie justifies it. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was um, Missing in Action, 1984, as well as POW The Escape, 1986. Thanks so much for bringing these films with you, Nathan. Uh, This is the part of the show where if you've got anything to plug, you can do it right here. Um, You can find most everything I do over at Twitter. uh, On Twitter.com, my handle is 
at Trillmore Girls, like the television show <laughs> Gil- Gilmore Girls, but <laughs> with the word Trill instead of Gil. Um, figure it out. You know, that's where most <laughs> things I do are. Um, but like Josh said, you know, I have I have writing at Pitchfork and a few other places online. And uh, by the time this episode's come out, uh, episode comes out, the uh, article that I mentioned earlier will be out over at the outline. A nice little tidy, handy primer to the whole crazy POW MIA thing um, with a lot of juicy, delicious facts about that insane man, Bo Gritz, um, (laughs) who had really like, he's still alive, but but one of the fucking strangest lives of like anybody. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we, we we talked about him a little bit on the Rambo first part two episode because he, he actually just is like an insane man. Uh, yeah, kind of, kind of, kind of respect a little bit. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and while we're at it, I wanted to plug, um, Nathan, I thought wrote one of the best pieces, uh, for the outline about the new Chucky movie, Child's oh, Play, cool. um, about sort of Chucky versus sort of like capitalism and, and, and the corporation and stuff like that. Yeah. And he did a good overview, I think of sort of like the franchise as well as all the way up to sort of Don Mancini losing, uh, the rights to his film and kind of creating like this new monstrosity <laughs> in its own sense that is, <laughs> yeah. that is yeah. sort of sort of interesting uh, just in its sort of existence because I was shocked when I finally watched that movie and I was like wow weirdly enough this remake adheres closer to what Mancini envisioned for the original yeah, than the original true. film does and I like the I original know. better still yeah, but it's yeah. just it, it was interesting to see that someone had enough pull to actually do what Mancini wanted to do which was right. do the whole you know, the that corporation invades yeah. the home and then sort of exacerbates the kids' anxieties and sort of acts on his feelings and his rage right. towards the Trying people to around him. Trying to satisfy the kid himself. Yeah, the only yeah. thing it was missing is the bit about how then they start blaming the kid. Yeah, because yeah. The, because yeah, they they, they think really that it's the kid who's angry and is like killing people, and they're like, no, right. it's the doll. I swear. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I can recommend checking that one out. I think that was for the outline, right, Nathan? Yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks for the the kind words. No problem. Um, for our listeners, I think we're going to be back in one week's time with a patron bonus episode, and it's going to be the first episode of October, which as everyone knows, Spooktober. Oh yeah. Uh, at this time of year, all we do is we do horror movies for like a month, sometimes a month and a half because we want to squeeze so many in, but it's going to be our first episode for October. So we are going to be doing some pure... 80s B-movie trash. Oh, yeah. Chopping Mall, uh, which I can't remember the year on it now, but I think it's like mid to early 80s. It might be 85. I think it's 86. 86? Yeah. I could be wrong. I think it's 86. But it's kind of like a proto... Corman-esque, Dante-esque, like, satire on, like, these, like, short-circuit mall cops that just start going (laughs) on a murderous rampage. Uh, And we're going to be pairing it with, weirdly enough, somehow I found this out, there is another film specifically that takes place all night in a mall where people are being slaughtered by these weird tiny creatures. And in this one, it is Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bowl-O-Rama. I was shocked at how many uh, things connected with these two movies. Yes, when I both them. take place entirely in shopping malls, basically. And yeah. there are a lot of teens, horny teens, getting murdered. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so that is going to be the first episode of October. But in two weeks' time, and again, that's patreon.com slash podcast for the bonus episode, because that's next week. But in two weeks, we're coming back with another free episode. We're coming back with another guest. 
And we are actually going to be looking into some uh, some sort of Asian comedy horror. Cool. Um, and a little bit of action in there, too. Is it similar to, uh, what was that, apartment horror movie that we used World to Apartment with? Horror? One, it yeah. could be in that realm, because I have actually never seen either of these. And I asked this guy, because I know that he's, he's seen a lot of trash, so I asked him for deep cuts. So he is cool. bringing with him Ricky Lau's Mr. Vampire okay. from 1985. Uh, which I haven't seen, but it was described as kind of like a uh, action comedy horror film. Okay. Um, and I think it might be uh, Chinese or Hong Kong, possibly. Uh, yeah, it's it's from Hong Kong. Hong Kong, uh, that's what I assume. So I think they're both from Hong Kong then, because the other one is um, The Seventh Curse from 1986 oh, with Chow yeah. Yun-Fat. That, that is a wacky movie like, <laughs> okay fuck yeah it's like temple of doom uh kind of but with chow yun fat and like even <laughs> grosser and nastier uh than temple of doom um crazy yeah because yeah, because that one's described as like fantasy horror so i was like Sweet. curious yeah. i'm very excited interesting yeah this will be an interesting is- episode <laughs> so yeah that's gonna be a batshit episode because we haven't yeah. seen either usually i've seen like one of the films that we're right. talking about or i have some semblance of context to you know sort of uh have a lens to look at them through but these look uh very unique and it was what i asked for so i got what i asked for <laughs> yeah but that is going to be the uh second episode of our sort of spooktober marathon as we uh focus exclusively on horror movies uh but yeah i think that will wrap it up for this week's episode thanks as always for listening and keep it sleazy keep it sleazy y'all